you're at a place you just discovered. And being an American Express Platinum card member with Global Dining Access by Resi helped you score tickets to quite the dining experience. Okay, chef. You're looking at something you've never seen before, much less tasted. After your first bite, you say nothing because you're speechless. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your dining experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Whether it's routine maintenance and emergency repair or a dream project, Angie lets you browse homeowner reviews, compare quotes from multiple local pros, and even book a service instantly. So the next time you have a home project, just Angie that and start getting the most out of your home. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Welcome to the ID10T podcast number 982. Before we get to the court board, uh, I'm doing some stand-up shows, so come to see those. If you live in Brea, San Diego, Portland, Phoenix, Oxnard, Nashville, Salt Lake City. So, so Salt Lake City. Oh, man, that's what I should do. I should make stand-up commercials like monster truck ads because it's 1997. You know what? <laughs> the monster truck joke's not going to be in the set. Uh, but... I'll be at the Brea Improv uh, February 22nd, 23rd, then at the American Comedy Company in San Diego in March, uh, Helium in Portland in March, Stand Up Live in Phoenix in March, uh, Levity Live in Oxnard in April, Nashville at Zany's in May, and then uh, Wise Guys in Salt Lake City. So, 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 Salt Lake City. I can't not say it that way anymore. Uh, and that's in June. So, uh, oh, you know, I don't have those dates up on ID10T.com yet, but soon... Good people soon, as I've been promising, ID10T.com is getting a bit of a facelift, and then that information will be there. But if any of those cities make sense to you, then um, just uh, let your Googling fingers do the walking to find the info and get tickets for them. So hope to see you out there. Now let's go to the court board uh, for people who are not me in the ID10T community. Events at ID10T.com is the uh, the email to send those into. Like uh, Ian Okamoto, who writes, um, My name is Ian. I'm a freelance musician currently working on an album inspired by Bioshock Infinite. Already love it, Ian. Already love it. The first song, Prophets and False Shepherds, is out now and can be found on Spotify, iTunes, and most other streaming services. If you're interested in hearing the album when it's finished, keep tabs on me and anywhere you get your music. Money's been tight lately, so the majority of any money the song makes will help put me through college. I'll also be donating some to GiveWell, a fantastic charity site that allocates funds to charities that can utilize them best. Ian, I adore and support you. You're doing this for yourself, and you're doing this for charity, and uh, you're doing this for your art, your craft. So good job. Good job, my friend. Also, J.L. Spears writes, in the midst of working in parenting, I've been working to market my first book. It is entitled The Starlet of Passion. It falls under the genres of fantasy, erotica, and romance. Find it by searching The Starlet of Passion on Amazon. So uh, there you go. Events at ID10T.com. Today's podcast is Lynn Shea, who is legendary it's like she's lynn has been not only in some of the best comedies of all time like you know something about mary and kingpin and uh uh dumb and dumber she also is uh 
a horror icon. I mean, she's an icon in general, but certainly if you're a horror fan, uh, she is a fixture of horror and just an incredible woman, such an incredible lady. Um, my wife and I are such huge fans of hers and Lydia uh, just worships Lynn and hosted a screening of, at Screamfest in uh, September of Lynn's new movie, The Final Wish, which, by the way, is in theaters January 24th. And it was so adorable. Lydia was so nervous to meet her. And Lynn is just the fucking coolest person. I'm going to tell you something about this podcast. It, she, Lynn is the type of person that even if you're – if you look her up, you're going to – and you're, if, if her name doesn't ring a bell, you're going to look her up and you go, okay, I know who that is. But I'm telling you, this is going to be one of those episodes that's going to sneak up and just like hug your heart. Lynn is fascinating and interesting and brilliant and wonderful and just so comfortable in her own skin and just an inspiration, has led such a wonderful, interesting life, just being open and receptive and, and positive. And, um, and we became pals after this. Like, we're going to hang out because I, she's just someone that um, – she's the type of person that you, you, know, you talk to her for a while and you go, I just want to spend time around that person and learn how to be a better human being. So uh, I'm, I'm, I was so blown away by getting to spend time with her. So please go see her the movie The Final Wish or anything else that she's, uh, that she's done. I look her up. I'm telling you, her resume is unreal how many things she's been in and uh, you'll definitely recognize her when you do. So here is the ID10T podcast number 982 – uh, with Lynn Shay, who again, I will never stop gushing about. Lynn Shay to the podcast. Initiating ID10T protocol. about three quarters of an acre for which for LA is incredible yeah but it's still it's it's and view like almost three 180 degree view of the valley so so but it's you hear the sound of the city yeah which um I don't mind because it's where I live right it's how it's I've chosen this you know as my so um but this is really I mean this is like coming into another era oh thanks yeah we spent about two years restoring it oh man it's um have you ever remodeled the place before um, the pl- mm, not not of any size. We had the first ever house we we built or that we lived in was sort of a log cabin. Almost. Oh, that's so great. we we ad- we added on. It was on a little street called Seaview Trail, right off Laurel Canyon Boulevard. Okay, and um, you kind of wound up, and it was on a dirt road with a dead end. And it was it's built. It was made of logs that were the inside was the outside. There was no insulation. <laughs> that's great. So it was really, it was a drug house for a while. There was a lot of things like, fuck you, get the fuck off my cunt. <laughs> written, on a, written on our door when, when we moved in. I hope this is not on the air. Is but, that, yeah, I mean, it, sh- it, it is should, because that's an that, amazing, and so, so like they did that while you were living there? No, no, it was right oh, before we, right before. we, right before we bought it yeah. because we don't know, we think they were all in jail by that time. But, so when um, you're looking at that property as a real estate agent, like, okay, yeah, hear me yeah. out. It's a little okay. This is a can of paint, you know. It's, it's just, just kind of stained. Just pretend you're not watching. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was yeah. a screen door with it spray painted in. So okay, so the you, like, screen doors are removable. Yes, exactly. You that take, was what he told us. <laughs> 
So um, <laughs> this is the pre-internet era. People had to write things on screen doors. Totally. Yeah. yeah. So, but anyway, that was. And then the house I live in now is really a wonderful. Um, it was built in the fifties, and then there was a guy that lived there for forty-four years, and he redid it, and it's just. I I, I will never live anywhere else. Oh, I just, that's great. It's got. I've got. All these giant pine trees on one side, and then it's got a, a beautiful pool with a this 300, 180, it's almost 300 degree view of the valley because it wraps all the way around. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, I don't even know how you describe the architecture. It's, I, I've, it's a slate roof, a beautiful uh, pale green slate roof, um, wood floors, everything, giant beams. It's modern. Rustic, almost like a lodge. It could okay. almost be. It could either be deco, or it could be really rustic, or it could be modern. Oh, that depending sounds cool. on how you wanted to. That to, sounds really cool. So, and I've got a lot of Western stuff. I love. I love. I have a horse, and I'm a real horsey person. So, I have a lot of um, big furniture and overstuffed stuff. And do you, you have know, a wagon wood. wheel coffee table? No, but it, almost. <laughs> <laughs> mine's, a, mine's a cactus wood. It's coffee a cactus. Table. Okay, good, good, good. <laughs> yeah, because so we, someday you'll come to my house. I and would I'll show love you to see your house. Do you have a horse on your property? No, 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 no. But uh, however, I found out that that my street is zoned for horses. Oh, like crazy. originally, there were horses allowed, and Tom Cruise owned the property at the end of the street, um, which is something like six acres. It's mm-hmm. a, it's the whole sort of end of sure. off Mulholland. So um, anyway, I'm, I got my. We bought it when I could never afford it again. We bought it in two thousand. Um, it's probably worth three times what, what we paid for it then, now, because they've done all this. Uh, the Lautner house is above us. That, okay. That round house that was in. Oh, um, yeah. Body double. Yes. That's right above us. And then there's another Neutra on this side. You know, oh, my gosh. There's all this architecture yeah. and stuff. What do I know? You know, no, I, but I pick up dog poop to make sure. No, that's really <laughs> make sure. Yeah, so we, you know, what's, what's great is we can, we can I'll, I'll snip out any part of the conversation that mentions your street because – I do. I like. I love to talk about homes with people because it is, you know, if if you give a shit about where you live, your your home is like such an expression of totally. And and so we're lucky because my wife and I have the exact same taste, and that's very lucky. You know, I I'm not married anymore, but my husband and I that was the best part of our relationship. <laughs> we, we totally love the same stuff. We we did the best part of our life was when we were putting a house together. We, we no no arguments. It was like real listening, really give and take. The rest fell to shit. <laughs> anyway. As we laugh about it. Really, but the house looked great. I'm taking my clothes off the longer I sit here. The house looked great. I know it's warm. Well, it's warm in here now because we're it's in this cozy, kind of weird. Good. We're in this weird thing with LA where it's like, it's so funny. Like everyone freaks out because it's going to rain for four days. I know. And I'm one of those people too. But it's like, it's cold outside for LA. Right. But it's not cold. It's like, are you kidding me? 40 degrees is, I'm from Detroit originally. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. yeah. Have we started? We have, we Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, we've yeah. actually started? Yeah. Oh. That's what I'm saying. I'm going to, I'm going to snip <laughs> oh, out good. the parts okay. where okay. you mention your streets and where you live and just keep in the parts where we're sort of, it, it, it'll sort of fade up as we're mid conversation. Okay. Which that's I think great. sounds better than, you know, I'm here with Lynn Shea. Yeah, yeah. Who, who has done basically nothing. <laughs> <laughs> she likes sushi. Yeah. <laughs> Sushi's great. Well, I don't know. I, I don't know. Uh, you might remember this or not, but my wife, Lydia, host, like, is one of the hosts of Scream Fest. Oh, yes. And so I saw the movie that you came to talk about, Final, Final Wish, at Scream Fest. 
And we took pictures with you because my wife did the Q&A with you. Because, uh, you know, I'm not just saying this. You look familiar. And I thought, but I, when I looked on the thing, I said, I've never met Chris. You yeah. Know, so, but then when you walked in, I thought, well, maybe I, you know, we have, we maybe have I saw you on the street. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just we, checking out your, uh, your Western, really, your interior Western really. house. We, um, yeah, I, we, have, we have actually pictures together from that thing. And I was like, well, Lynn's not going to remember this. How many screenings has, this, has she been to? You know, but, it, but you know, we're, I was so excited to have you on because we're huge fans of yours. Like, literally. Oh, thank you so much. Not, I mean, and not just horror, but, you you know, but you're in also some of the most iconic comedy films as well. And so it's sort of, it's so interesting to sort of see, you know, how people's careers develop and which directions they go in and what they do. And, you know, like... You're in such this amazing, specific, like, you're, first of all, you're irreplaceable. You're you. And oh, when, when you see... You're going to make me cry no, right seriously. here in front of everybody. No, I mean, seriously. <laughs> and so it's like, you've carved out this wonderful place for yourself where, you know, if you decide to go do a mainstream thing, you can. But also, like, you're such a fixture of, of horror, you know, like it's just a, it's just like, it's such a great career. It seems like, does it feel that way to you? Yes, it totally does. I, I I am more surprised than anybody, anybody. I, it's gonna make me cry though, but I love what I do and I don't even know why, (laughs) except that I'm fascinated by aspects of living and what that means to different people and how we are in our personal stories Mm -hmm. where everybody's got tragedy everybody's got you know everybody's got a little bit of everything Uh, and i'm fascinated by trying to walk into the that the personality of another person so i don't even think about genre i mean that was something i talked about today to some people i don't think about genre i don't think about gender and i don't think about age those are three things i just it, it has nothing to do with what i do right because i was never limited no one ever limited me in what i what i love to do mm-hmm. which comes out of my imagination basically right. so um and, and i i didn't even know i wanted to be an actress for i i graduated in art history from university of michigan um, my mom, my dad was a, he was a lawyer who he graduated law school at 21 years old. He, we lived in Detroit, Michigan. It was a very traditional 50s family. Um, uh, I had no kids in the neighborhood, so I would always play by myself and make up stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was how I and my mom, unbeknownst to her, really spawned my imagination because she allowed me to explore anything and everything. I would take all my clothes out of my closet and dress up and take my dolls and make up stories and we'd make up games and I had cuz thank god there were no iPhones, there was no <laughs> I mean I I'm I think kids are 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 being stunted right now. There's no it's another world that I'm not familiar with because they're not being forced to use their imagination yeah. as much because everything's right there. And they know that looking at a screen, I mean there was a whole thing on this if I don't know if it was sixty minutes, whereas it, it, it does not stimulate imagination. Right. And so or creativity because right. it's all been done for you mm-hmm. on some level. Now maybe there's a next level that will happen that will then ignite all that again. I'm right. not, I'm hoping that's true. But I was really allowed to just to be an idiot. <laughs> I mean, I would, there was no pressure about, even for school, you know, I mean, do the best you can. If you didn't do well, do better next time. Try right. harder. You know, but it was never, you, you know, I didn't have those kind of, uh, that kind of an environment around me. I had a very nurturing, I think, creative environment. My dad ended up becoming a painter in his 50s. 
Oh, wow. Yeah. And he became a very successful Michigan artist, Max Shea, Maximilian Shea. He gave himself a title. A, a long, a fancier yeah. name. Yeah. <laughs> it I mean, wasn't Jewish. It wasn't the Jewish grocer. <laughs> it was Maximilian Shea. <laughs> we were also the Jewish grocer, by Max the way. Max the Jewish grocer. Max the Jewish grocer is Maximilian Shea? Yeah, same guy. That's yeah. a Hannah Montana situation. <laughs> I've really? never seen them in the same room together. Wait a minute. <laughs> this grocery store has a beautiful art. Right, right. Well, you should see the tableau in the back. Yeah. Um, but um, so I, I really I, I really don't make any distinction about what I've been allowed to do. I just love um, I love that people are are loving it. I mean, there's what could be better than it at my age. True. I mean, I'm getting old. I don't give a shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's I mean, good that you you can't because there's nothing. We really, can do what about can I do? About, I was just yeah. going to say, what am I yeah. supposed to do about it? Yeah. But um, but again, I don't internally or mentally, I haven't put any limits on myself, and I think that that's translated to success on some level because I haven't I haven't designated. If I'm not here by now, then um, I have to do. You know, a lot of people give themselves. I give myself ten years to be an actor. Right. Well, good luck. Right. You know, maybe it'll happen, and maybe it won't. Right. I don't have any parameters. I love interpreting other people's lives. I don't know what that's from. I always have. The first thing I remember getting um, sort of rewarded for is I was in a school, and it was a camp play, and I was supposed to be this, like, stupid person. That was the, I think that was the description <laughs> of the character. And the only thing I did was, duh. <laughs> and I would make everybody crack up, because everybody would, they would, do the duh thing, do the duh thing. And nobody could do it like me, like, duh. So you, are, you had an SNL character. I already like, had, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, before SNL. And, and I, was around, I was around nine, or nine years old. And I just remember I, being able to, I'm a good mimic. I'm a good... I am a good mimic to my own destruction some of the time <laughs> when I mimic at the wrong time. But um, anyway, there's nobody happier that people are appreciating what I do than me. Well, it sounds like. Oh, do you mind grabbing a couple glasses of water? I'm sorry, I was rude and I didn't do what I came. No, in. no, no. That's um, I didn't know we were recording. I so know exactly. I'd say, they but snuck it in there. But right. everything that you're talking about sounds like. Um, it sounds like just like not like getting the ego out of the way. You know, it's like those are not ego decisions where you go like, oh, you know, like I, I like doing this stuff. I'm going to do it. There's no time limit. I don't think about all these things. I just think I like to do this. And all the things that all the things that you talk about that really trip people up are those kind of like ego things. I have to have this kind of role. I have to do this genre of film. I have to have this by this date. I have to have – and I think it's good to have goals, but but it's bad when – you know, it's like the ego decisions are the ones that fuck us up the most. I, I have a very small ego, and that's the truth. I mean, for better or for worse, I really I'm very competitive, but not not overtly. Right. I mean, I but I you know if I see somebody, I can be a real bitch. I realize. <laughs> I mean, seriously, and I don't tell other people that <laughs> except for you. Now they all know. Yeah. <laughs> now, but I'm but I'm sort of missing a, that thing of. I'm me, and I'm. I, I don't know why. I, uh, I don't really know who I am. You still don't. You don't think you no, know. No. Does it matter that you don't know, or do you want to know? No, it does not matter. What matters is the way I behave. Well, maybe that's who you are. You know, like maybe that's who you are. You know, like maybe it's not. I don't know. Maybe there doesn't have to be like a a description. A someone description. I am this person. Check this. It's like yeah, you know, I'm just living life. You know, I was talking to someone the other day about. Thank you. 
it's like, you know, mankind's obsession with trying to figure out the meaning of life. Like, is there an answer that would ever set? It's like, no, life is the meaning of life. You live it, and that's it. You don't have to have, like, a we are supposed to. That's too, that's too result-oriented. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm and I've never really because people talk about you know all these um, self help things about visualize your goals. I've never visualized shit. <laughs> I mean, I visualize when I'm hungry. You know? <laughs> what am I going to eat? That's about that's about as as far as I get in visualization. I really don't. I never had any. I didn't even know I was going to be an actress. I started to tell you that I was an art history major. I loved, but I loved show, not showing off. I loved entering the, duh, yeah. you know, that thing. And so I was always looking, I loved being in plays because I like pretending to be other people. Mm-hmm. That was just fun for me. And I was pretty good at it. And um, so I was always sort of in school plays. I, always, I never got the big part. I always got the little part. I would audition for everything and I would get the little part. <laughs> and and um, I just kind of accepted that, you know, all right. So, um, and then in, uh, when I went to college, I, was, I had a great run four years at University of Michigan. I was not in their theater department. They had a fantastic theater department, but I was in art history and um, was going to, you know, do something at the museum when I graduated. And, um, and then I finished school, and then I did my proverbial year in Europe, which is a whole podcast all on its own. <laughs> which, I mean, that was the wildest. I have had so many crazy experiences. I mean, that I, it would take forever for me to tell you them. But. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna bookmark that in my head and so let you finish the how you got to acting thing, and then I am definitely gonna you go can't into just, Europe. You can't just drop that and be like, oh, I guess we'll just it move is. on from there. The, the, so. All right, I'll buy it because there's a great funny story. Okay, especially. great. We'll, we will um, circle back around to that. But anyway, so um, so after Europe, I came back. I, my two best friends were living in New York, and um, and I kind of slept on their couch in their apartment. And I got my first job at the Metropolitan Museum of Art in the registrar's office in the basement of the Metropolitan Museum um, in, the, in filing. It was, you know, a, a entry-level job. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I wasn't smart enough to be a real art history person. That was one of the things about Europe. I told my parents I was going to re- go to the Courtauld Institute of Art. <laughs> and I'll tell you about that later. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, um, so... I was literally Mrs. Sikowitz, I remember, was my superior officer. She was the registrar of the museum. The best part of that was going into the um, to the Metropolitan at 8 a.m. before people came, and I would go through the Egyptian exhibit. If if you don't believe in ghosts, that's incredible. I mean, I get chills talking about it. Well, you can if you look around our house, you can see. That, I know. And, and as gonna... I show you, like Lydia and I both had this idea that we always wanted to live in a museum, you know. And so I think that's why we have a lot of, you know, like there's like vintage taxidermy and statues and all sorts of because it just like that feeling to me is so cozy and it's real. I mean that that the resonance you get from that, I really believe if you open yourself up to it. It is for I'm not choking. I, I get chills when I think about it because going through all the Egyptian, the Saracophis yes. guy, guy or whatever you call him. But anyway, that was the best part. And then about week number three, I was going, so I wonder when I get to be in a play. I would love to be in a play. I never thought about film ever, ever, ever. So I thought, what am I going to do? How am I going to – I got to be back in school if I'm going to go. And then I started thinking, maybe I should uh, go to – maybe I should be an actress. <laughs> there's, a, there's a profession that does what I'm looking for. So I applied to three graduate schools in, in theater. 
And one was Columbia, um, Brandeis, and NYU. I didn't get into Brandeis. I had to go and audition to all three. I can't even remember how I put all that together. I'm so proud when I remember it because I don't know how I did that. No one helped me. I mean, my parents paid for it, but I I got myself to Boston, to Brandeis, and and got myself to New York, and I did an audition, and I I decided to go to Columbia. I got into NYU and Columbia. So I was at Columbia for three years in their Master of Fine Arts program as an actor, it was exquisite. You know, it was 12 hours a day of theater, of, you know, body work and voice work and play. And, and we worked with Joe Papp. We were, we were attached to the public theater at that time. He was one of our teachers. So Joe was one of our teachers. Oh, we had fantastic um, guest speakers and guest teachers. And we segued literally right from that into sort of off-off-Broadway. Once I finished school... I stayed in New York. My brother had just started New Line Cinema. Yeah, I knew that about. I knew that about your family. And I remember I finished my master's thesis on, at one o'clock in the morning up in his office at New Line, <laughs> all by myself, and, and got it in literally about ten minutes before the deadline, and um, and uh, I started to, to just do plays, and and it was the same kind of thing. It wasn't like. You know, equity waiver. I got my I got my equity card by doing one line in uh, a five-hour production of Jean Genet's The Screens at the Chelsea Theater Center in Brooklyn that Robert Calvin was the artistic director. I got um, the, there was a character I auditioned for named Leila, this, the ugliest girl in the world. Oh, and she does the whole play for five hours with a burlap bag on her head. And I was dying for that job. Oh, my God. And I did an audition. I know. I blew them. I blew, I blew everybody out of the room. But they hired somebody else. It was <laughs> that same thing. And I remember the actress's name, a beautiful girl named Janet League. I wonder where she is today. But, Janet, you were gorgeous and a very good actress as well. And she, um, since it was a five-hour production... They, the matinees, you know, there was eight performances a week, so they would do, you know, they'd start the show at two, three, four, five, six, end at seven, have an hour break, start at eight until nine, ten, eleven, twelve, until one in the morning. That sounds terrible. Yeah, with a dinner break, with that a dinner break. That sounds terrible. Ten hours ten a day. Hours of ten hours. So Janet said, if you want to do the matinees, you know, that would be great. And that, that's how I got my equity card. I played an Arab wife. Named Habib. That was all. <laughs> and I had one line. I think it was, my husband. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> I think that was it. And so I got my equity card. I had that. And we would do, I didn't have, I wasn't SAG yet or anything. And then I think all you had to do was pay $200 to become a, a Screen Actors Guild um, member at the time. So I paid it because I thought, well, why not? I might as well have, be in the union. And um, did off and off off Broadway for almost 10 years I had the most exquisite time it was when everything was starting this is 19 uh let me see 70 like 60 1970 to 68 to 70 oh wow 77 excuse me 68 to 77 and well, what um, a time to be in New York yeah. Yeah, everything was started. Manhattan Theater Club, Chelsea Theater Center, American Place Theater, the WPA, Playwrights Horizons, all of them were just getting started. And uh, I was in everything. You know, I just, I I was just tireless, kind of. I always went from, never was not doing something or working. And um, uh, I have a great story. You want to hear it? Yes. I don't know. <laughs> I have so many stories. Yes. So, okay, so cut to 1977, all is well, I'm doing theater, I got cast to play 
um, Prasi, the secretary in Canada, that Eva Marie Saint, a lot of people don't even know who she who she is. Do you know Eva I remember Marie? her, yes. Okay. You know, she, she was in On the Waterfront with Marlon Brando, one of the most beautiful actresses. I, she may still be living. She was married to Jeff Hayden, I remember, who was a director. And she got cast to play Candida at, at, at a regional theater in Boston. And I got cast. I auditioned for the, the uh, part of Prosy, a, a wonderful, it's a great play. It's George Bernard Shaw. Um, and... Uh, I was doing research, and I was already, and I get this phone call that, unfortunately, I've been fired. And I thought, oh, my God. And I, and I, and I thought, what did I do? Because had we had any rehearsals yet? We'd had, I think, a couple rehearsals. And I didn't remember this because I was so upset. But about a year later, I found a letter they had written me that said, we hired you because you were the best actress who came in for the role, and we fired you because you made Eva Marie Saint look too old. Oh, because no. she she was in her 50s. I was in my 30s, but I looked like I was 12. Uh-huh. I mean, I really, I mean, uh, being little as I am, and I was just, I looked on stage in particular, I looked like a child next to her. <laughs> so so um, at least you can't feel bad no, about that, I because did. there's nothing you can do about that. But at the time, I got a rash. <laughs> <laughs> I was so I was so upset. I thought I was gonna. I was just distraught, and um, so I get this phone call from my agent. I actually had an agent, a good agent. He didn't do anything for me, but he was a good agent. <laughs> <laughs> nice guy, <laughs> like all those agents. Yeah. Don't, I didn't say that. So um, they said. Uh, so Jack Nicholson is in town with his casting people, and they are doing a film called Going South. Mm-hmm. And he saw a picture of you somewhere and was interested in you, so we sent your resume over. And I said, well, what do you mean? Well, Jack Nicholson is interested in me. All you did was send my resume over. <laughs> Let's send him something else. Yeah. Put me, put me, mail me. Right, mail me. Mail me to so, him. So um, I said, well, can I, you know, I, can I meet him or is there a way to – and they said, well, unfortunately, they left to go back to L.A., so they're not coming back to New York. So we'll send him your picture. I So I went through, I, this was so naive, but when I think about it, it's so sweet. I went through my desk and I pulled out every picture, snapshot, anything. This is me with curly hair. This is me with long hair. This is me with short hair. This is me with straight hair. And I found this card called the Soothsayer. And this is going to give me chills. So, and the, the date I sent it was 77. 77. Holy shit. And I put at the bottom, I said, thank you, Mr. Nicholson, for your interest. And I said, here's some additional photos in case you needed them for anything. Oh, my God. And then I said, P.S., I sealed it up. I was going to take it down to like special delivery. We didn't even have FedEx, then, right. I don't think. I said, um, but um, at P.S., so I pulled it out, and I thought, P.S., I plan to be in Los Angeles for a short visit in the next couple of weeks, which was total bullshit. <laughs> But if he wanted to meet with you, it turns totally. out you had to go visit. Totally. Yeah. So we, I sent it. About two days later, I get a call from my agent. He said, do you know him? And that was how I answered the He said, hello, do you know him? I said, what? Who is this? This is your agent. <laughs> he said, he said do, you know, do you know Jack? And I said, no. And he said, because we just got a phone call from him saying he wants to meet you as soon as you're in L.A. Holy shit. So I packed dirty laundry. Mm-hmm. I called my dad. I said, "Can I can I have money? To, I'm flying to. I want to fly to Los Angeles tomorrow morning." He said, "Okay." 
I mean, they just were. He said, "Why?" I said, I, I, "I'm gonna meet Jack Nichols." <laughs> so my father said, "Sure, okay, yeah, okay, sure." <laughs> so um, and Betty Buckley was was here. She was doing Eight Is Enough, and she had been um, sort of a mentor and a friend and teacher to me in in New York. She was staying at the Chateau Marmont. I didn't. I'd never been here. I had no idea what anything was had to do with film or anything. So she said, "Oh yeah, come on, I'll get you a room at the Chateau." Oh my so God. she got me the bungalow John Belushi lived in. Oh my God! <laughs> which I didn't know till later. But um, and on the plane, I got a fever blister the size of a basketball on my upper lip, and I'm not joking. Swelling like I've never before or since seen anything like it. My whole lip. Was out like this. I couldn't barely talk. Was it stress induced? Stress induced. Yeah. Stress, stress, aggravation, fear. Oh my. <laughs> Anything. And I'm. And once they start, it's really. I mean, I don't know if anybody, if you guys get fever blisters, but it's the worst ever. And it's a virus, you know. No. Yeah. I know, but I know people who do, and you can't. You can't. There's no yeah. shortcut. There's yeah. no nothing. You, it's like bleh, you, you have to live with me until yeah. I die. I live here on your lip for right. a while. <laughs> and I'm telling you, it, I ended up having to have. Like a gamma globulin, I mean, it was giant. It was like a quadruple blister. So here I am with the Chateau Vermont. You just said it was a character choice. Really? I'm the character. Well, kind of. <laughs> so, so the next morning, I call. I must have called the taxi cab forty times to make sure they were going to be on time. I I walk in those gates at Paramount, which I, I felt like I was in dreaming. I mean, I never had. I knew what they looked like from pictures, but I had no idea what that felt like. And I walked in, I went to Jack's office, and I walk in, and my picture's up on his bulletin board, and he's got his head down looking at my resume, and then he looks up, he says, so what happened to your mouth? Oh, <laughs> and no! Said, and then I said, oh, no! I said, I didn't really just come out here to meet you. I swear to God, I was really going to come out here anyway. <laughs> and he just sort of, and I just started babbling, and he was, he, he's, he's a very special human being. I mean, he really is. He's that guy. And he just kind of let me carry on. And then he said, um, well, I'm really glad to meet you, and I'm glad you came. And he said, uh, this is, these are for some small roles, because Mary Steenburgen had already been cast. Mm-hmm. And um, also, he picked her up in a waiting room. She, she was a waitress, and he had her come in and read, read with him and oh. cast her on the, on the spot. Oh, my God. So that's who he is. He's yeah. That guy goes, you, you come with me. Right. And, that was, and I was like the mini version of that. And so um, he said, well, there's four characters. There are four spinsters. He said, but I could always make one the parasol lady. That was all he said. And that was it. That was the whole meeting. So I walked out. I, was, I, I wasn't on this planet. I mean, I was just flying. And um, I figured I would stay for a few days because he didn't say I had the job or anything either. They just, he just said it was really nice to meet you. Thank you for coming in. And... Um, Betty kind of took me under her wing, and um, two days later, I got a call to be on a movie of the week with F. Murray Abraham and Judith Light. I had no agent here or anything. It was based on a tape I had brought from New York. Um, Jeffrey Fisher, God rest his soul, he's, he, he died a long time ago. He was a casting director at Universal. He saw my tape, and he hired me. At the exact same time? At the two days after I'd had the meeting with Jack. So you were already out here. So I'm here. I'm here, and I'm like, oh, I got a job. <laughs> so the other thing is I had no idea. I'd never done television. And it's um, Jack Arnold was the director who's a very popular and was a very kind of famous TV sitcom director. 
and it was a very cute uh, called Mar- Sex and the Married Woman, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, I was playing F. Murray Abraham's kind of snarky wife. So what do I know? I'm from theater, so I thought, okay, I, so I, I got to go shopping. So I went shopping for a little T-shirt that said <laughs> <laughs> that said hot stuff on it. <laughs> You're forgetting that this, you'd have wardrobe. Right. I didn't know I'd have wardrobe. Who gives me wardrobe? I've been shopping at thrift stores ever since I could walk, you know, doing theater. Nobody ever helped me with wardrobe. I always found my own clothes. <laughs> so I go and get hot stuff at Target. And then I buy a little pair of um, uh, d- dangly um, pink palm tree earrings <laughs> and some jeans. And I thought, you know, because I'm an Udahagen girl because I learned I learned my tools from Uda Stella and Lee. I've got three very prominent people in my in my toolkit. And Uda would always say, you know, what did you do right before you come into the scene? You know, what is what what's your life before? So you bring in she had a thing where you bring in three objects from wherever you were, which is actually a great exercise. You can she said you don't have to show them to anybody or you can bring it into the scene and introduce it. So I thought, well, I'm in the kitchen. I'm going to be eating a turkey leg. <laughs> <laughs> Did you bring a turkey leg? I went to Nate Nell's. <laughs> and I bought a turkey leg, I'm the biggest one they had. <laughs> and I come Renaissance in. Really, style. really, yeah, really. Yeah. I come in to meet Jack, Mr. Arnold. <laughs> how, how do you do? I said, so, okay, so here's the shirt I brought and, um, and the earrings. And I said, and then I thought I'd be in the kitchen. I'd be eating this turkey leg. And the, all these TV guys, you know, the union TV guys, are all standing there with their mouth just a jaw like <laughs> like that scene and what's the scene where they're all in um, the Mel Brooks movie where they're all like oh, the producers <laughs> yeah the producers they're all sitting there with their mouths open and Jack Arnold God bless him was just sort of with this bemused look on his face and his arms folded and he said very good <laughs> they used everything I brought including the turkey leg which is in the scene and we shot it and I got a review in Variety. I mean, it was insane. It was like whatever that is about energy, yeah. and and I I learned something about that that I think is real. Um, I mean that 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 power that I harnessed doing it, which came out of my mouth and everywhere else, is totally real. What that, was it? What was it? was it? The momentum of. I don't like know. Pursuing like you came out here. You were very proactive about the Jack Nicholson thing. You yes. were kind of bouncing on cloud nine because of that, and that kind of attracted something. Something. I mean, but I think that's real. You know, people say, "Oh, you know, energy." You know, all this thing about energy and all these people with their theories. You know, which you can sort of poo-poo, and then there's a part of it that is real. That you know, good good begets good. I mean, I'm sorry, but it's true. Yeah. And there was something. I was I was on fire. I was on fucking on fire. <laughs> I was so excited and so happy and and I but I was so focused. It wasn't like I was just, you know, and I'm going to go get drunk and go to parties. I was and I started calling. I had a whole list of casting directors. I started calling them one after the other. I was getting results and um when I, and then I got an eight is enough. Betty was on eight is enough, and Lorimar, which is an, which doesn't exist anymore, which was notoriously the, this this dogged company that gave nobody anything. They wouldn't pay anybody anything. You know, they were really tight wads. They gave me single card billing for a scene in this movie. I played a punk rocker. I brought in a dog a collar and leash and was walking myself around with it like a stoner. You know, but it was classic. You know. 
sort of goofy being stoned, you know, hi, I drive, I'm the show, you know, I bet, and it's a cute little scene on Eight is Enough, and, um, and I remember I still had the card on something, they gave me single card billing and Lynn Shay. I mean, I was nobody, nobody. And so when, when does Jack Nicholson call you back? Okay, oh, okay, so uh, this was, that was, was it after Eight is, I'd, I'd been here about a week. And I had done Sex and the Married Woman. I don't think I had done um, The Eight is Enough yet. But I had done Sex and the Married Woman, and I get a call, and they say, um, Jack wants you in Durango for two weeks to play the, the parasol lady. Oh, my God. So John Belushi, Chris Lloyd, Veronica Cartwright, Danny DeVito, Jack Nicholson, and Lynn Shay. Holy and shit. And I have, and I have one, little, uh, one line, which is, he ain't for you, Serene. <laughs> and a parasol. And a parasol. And I had this little, and I would, and I used it. You know, I mean, I, and Jack was right there. I didn't even know what MOW meant. You know, I didn't know what, and, and he's, you know, he, he, he directed me. I mean, he was interested in me. You know, he, for whatever reason, I don't, you know, again, it's an energy thing. I've never seen him since. Never, ever seen him since. Well, he's right here right now, Jack. I, come on out. I, I wish he was. Hey, everybody. Yeah. I can't do an impression. Yeah. No. You can't do but an impression. But he, you know, he's a hottie. <laughs> he does that thing. Yeah, he does that thing. Let's see if there's anything here we can But I think there is about. something about that. And I also think, you know, if it, the, I think you probably brought, speaking of energy, like a much different energy than what they're used to seeing, which is, you know, people who are driven by desperation, their egos, um, you know, just whatever, wanting to be famous or whatever. And for you, it's just like, hey, I don't give a shit. I just, this is just fun. You know, my background's theater. I don't... I love my work and I was serious about my work. Yeah. I mean, dead serious about my jerky leg. And, and I think that was what was so disarming. <laughs> you know, I mean, I really, I came in, I laid it out. I said, here's the t-shirt I got because I thought hot stuff, like she's in the kitchen and they've got a good relationship. <laughs> you know, I, I sort of explained it all. And they were, they were so... Um, they were bemused and they were, they were entertained. You know, that's good because there is a scenario where someone does that and they're like, "What the fuck what is, is it? you know?" But I think that's now. Like back then, I don't think people were really. I don't know. It doesn't seem like people. It just doesn't. It was such its own thing. Like TV was TV, film was film, theater was theater, and there was not a ton of crossover. No, you're like right. now everyone does everything, and we just accept it. People do internet stuff, they do film, they do television, they do theater. And then it was just like theater people, television people, film, film people, you know. right? And now just everyone is everything. And I was just—I mean, what I came in with—I didn't know from any of it. I just knew I was an actress, and this is what I do for a character. I mean, that was how I approached it. I didn't approach it. I didn't even know where the camera was. <laughs> and I swear to God, I had because then because I remember someone saying the camera's over there. And I went where? <laughs> oh, <laughs> there, right over there. But um, I guess it was a little bit. It was. It was entertaining for them in a way but in a good way because I was really I did a good job I also did a really good job for them and so which is also important because you you know you have to remember that when people uh like people who are easy to work with and show up prepared and they're nice to everyone that is a big deal because 
productions, a, a friend of mine who's a director just said, my job as a director is just to weed out the dickheads and only work with it. And so you, you have a good experience. People have a good experience. You on this thing. Oh, you know who was great? Lynn Shea was great. Let's just bring her in this one thing. Yeah, it's two lines, but she's great. She'll make it great, make it easy and fun. And then it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Kind of. And I still feel the same about it all. I, nothing has changed. I still work as hard. I'm as nervous and scared. I still bring in all my ideas. You know, I'm, I, it's... I, I think love I hear it. my wife. Uh-oh. Lids. Yeah. Hello. I wasn't very subtle. Hey, sweetie. My shoes are wet and squeaking on the floor. It's Lynn. Hi. Hi. It's so nice to... <laughs> first of all, your home is exquisite. Oh, oh my God. You. My wife worships you. Hi. Oh. <laughs> she was so excited to do, to, to do the Q&A for your screening oh, yeah, and was very nervous oh, to meet you. Oh, oh. No, I totally... Now that I see you, I totally remember. Now I'm putting it all together. Well, I'm thank, I'm honored that you invited me over to do oh this. Gosh, this is really fun. So excited, yeah. Oh, well, it's great oh, to see Oh, she's all red. My, my wife's flushing. <laughs> but get cozy. Don't be... Don't get cold. Yes, no, I know. Yeah, I'm going to go... Okay. All right. <laughs> nice um, to see you. Um, yeah, so there, there really is something to... There really is something to that that's... Because I think there's so many other things... We, I think as artists, we like to think, well, it's always just about they're going to pick whoever's best, the best performer. It's like that, that's an element of it. But it's like who's easy to work with, who looks right for the part, who's like there's so many other factors that are important beyond just the talent part no, of it. I, I agree. And, you know, there's something I was talking about this to um, one of the interviewers today. I sort of um, I sort of don't differentiate um, that's why I have no real, real conscious um, fear of getting old because I'm getting old. Mm-hmm. But fuck it, <laughs> you know. I mean, <laughs> well, I mean, yes and no. I mean, I don't. It's not like I, I don't want to play. I love playing characters. Look, I mean, who, how old is Magda or Mrs. Dumars from Kingpin? And right, right. Who knows? They who could knows? be any age. They could yeah. be thirty. They could be ninety. Right. And I don't. And this is even my manager said this. I like doing. And I hope you take this the right way. I like doing stuff that's sexy, yeah. meaning that it's not about how old I am or, or how, what I look like or what gender I am. I I just played a role that was written for a man that uh-huh. was really fun. Oh, that that's was, great! And I wanted to play it as a man, but we just we played her as a woman because actually that that theme thematically fit in better with the storyline. Okay. But but I love crossing over. You know that I I mean your sexuality is one thing. I mean I like men, okay. But but I can be I, I but I like women too. You know I like I like who women are, like what we represent. And I've been very fortunate that I was never pigeonholed by my family about you're a girl, so you can't do that. Right. You know you're a woman. You're well. You're lucky. I think you're lucky in the sense that your father discovered his own artistic path. From a very structured job background. That's very interesting. And (laughs) so he probably felt like, well, I was a lawyer and I owned a grocery store and now I'm a painter. So fuck, you know, follow your your whatever, whatever, you know, you can do something for a while. You don't have to do it forever. You can try something else, you know, just sort of follow what you're. He totally. And even with my brother, too, my dad was totally on our side a thousand percent. He gave us his opinion. We could always know when we were getting a lecture. He had gorgeous (laughs) handwriting. He was always an artist. When I think about it, he had the most beautiful handwriting. 
and we would get these legal, the yellow legal pads. Yep. You could tell it came in the envelope. It was a yellow legal. You could tell there was yellow in the, and it was small writing. Yep. <laughs> and you knew, all right, get ready. Oh, here we Open go. Open up the envelope. I'm going to get notes. But it, you would get notes, but they were always <laughs> very, and they were off, got big and underlined. <laughs> but they were always with, with the deepest respect. And I, I know Bob saved a couple of them too, because when he was getting his business going, you know, his he, my dad gave him his first investment, basically. I mean, New Line was New Line. I was, mean, he started New Line in his in his uh, living room on New York Second uh, Avenue and Thirteen. Wasn't 13th he the one Street. that told Peter Jackson, "No, I think Lord of the Rings should be yeah, three, three movies." Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's a pretty substantial. Bob is a genius. Yeah, tr- I, I don't say that loosely. He is one of the smartest people I know. I mean, how how do two people? How do two siblings from Michigan? End up, it's like, he goes west, you go east, he starts this thing, you start this career, and you and it you kind of start to fold back around to, to each other. Like, what a crazy, that's, I mean, that's unique. That, like, why can't, you know, like, one person from a family might, in the who lives in the middle of the country might, but, but two people to pursue separate but successful career paths... In a related field, like that's a really interesting thing. That's you're right. I I just remember, you know, Bob used to. He was my the classic big brother, you know, that would torment me. I mean, he was a tormentor. <laughs> <laughs> we had a French poodle, a brown curly a, a standard French poodle. We had sort of a whole string of them as they died one by one. Named Pepe Lamoco. Okay. So Pepe Lamoco, my brother made a rule where I was only allowed to touch the back end of the dog. Otherwise, he would give me noogies and Indian. <laughs> And I was so up and down my arm was bl- practically blistered from from giving me Indian birds because if I touched from the mid back, if I went anywhere except towards the tail, I was I would get it. Sounds like a studio executive. So he was. Yeah, so, yeah, and, and he so he was really mean to me <laughs> as a big brother. But he was the one. If Bob was the one that said to Wes Craven, "Put my sister in your movie." Oh my! Bob was the one who said in Nightmare on Elm Street. Mm-hmm. The first Nightmare on Elm Street. Bob was the one that I did audition for um, for Critters. I think that was an audition, but I got the job. And um, so let's see. It was, and uh, Bob was the one that told um, Charlie Wessler and Pete Fairley to hire me for Dumb and Dumber. Oh my God! And I didn't. And he pretended he didn't. And it wasn't until months later. Um, and that was how I met them and how I, you know, then I went from there. I auditioned. Kingpin's got a story all of its own. I mean. Oh, my, oh my God. God. I've got so many stories, Chris. It's, it's, Please. This is the time <laughs> to tell them. Because it's obvious. It's like, yeah, you know, your brother may have helped you get the one job, but you earned that relationship because the Farrelly's put you, I mean, like something about Mary and Kingpin. And it's like you, he didn't make that happen. No, like you, you, made, you earned that. Well, that was what, when um, after... It was Rick Montgomery who was the casting director on Dumb and Dumber, and um, when they offered me this role, I was so excited. I didn't have to audition because auditioning is really so it sucks. Sp- it sucks. Yeah. So, so I got the job. I think we shot. I don't know where we were. If we were in Rhode Island or Pittsburgh, it was one day, and um, I had, came up with Mrs. Nugaborn or Mrs. Nugiburger, as Jeff Daniels <laughs> calls me in the movie. And the scene went great, and I had these ideas about I have a, how people look like their dogs. So I said, Mrs. Nugaburg, I, sh- I made the front of my hair like a pom-pom, you know, <laughs> little tight curls all over. And um, I said to Pete, when we opened the door at the end of the scene, instead of screaming, what if I whimper like a dog? And I do. And so it was <laughs> Pete loved it. And all of a sudden, everybody was like, you know, even Jeff Daniels was going, yeah, I really like that. That was really good. And then... Um, 
Weeks later, months later, a couple months maybe, I get a a letter from Bob in the mail. And it says, um, I open it up and it says, for your scrapbook. And I open the card and it was a letter from Charlie Wessler to Bob saying, Dear Bob, usually when a studio executive recommends a family member, we, we run the other way, but thank you for sending us Lynn. She did such a great job. Oh, that's great. So he did. It was all him. So how did King... Well, first of all, before we get to Kingpin, oh. you know what's, what, is, what seems apparent to me is that because you had this, uh, this theater training where you had to basically do everything yourself, it's like you're, you're bringing that tool set... To an industry, I think it's more common now, but I don't think it was common like 20 or 25 years ago. Everything was done for Everything you. Everything was done for you. And so to it's like you kind of didn't know any better. Like, oh, yeah, this character, her hair should be like this and she probably should look like a dog. Because if you're doing a play and you're doing a play that's been done a million times before, what are you going to do to differentiate yourself? And what kind of magic are you going to find in those right. parts? And so you're trained to do that. And so you're bringing this other skill set. And I'm sure... I mean, I would imagine the directors especially probably loved it because it's like, oh, that makes their job easier. So like easy. someone comes in with ideas and prepared and but not overbearing. And uh, that, they must have loved that. Well, I guess so. I mean, and, and, and that was – you're right. It was the only way I knew how to work because that's how I was trained to work. So um, now Kingpin – oh, mm. my God. That was – because so after we did Dumb and Dumber, I read in the trades that they were doing this other movie. And I had made friends with a, a couple of the people, you know, on, on – um, the it was actually produced by uh, Motion Picture Corporation of America, which at the time was Brad Cravoy, Bradley Thomas, and Steve, Stephen Stabler. Um, Bradley, I know, worked with Pete for a long time. Brad, I think, still has his, a company. I don't know what happened with Steve. I think he went into educational something. Okay. A, and a really, all really good guy. Steve especially was a great guy. So, okay, so um, I had met them on when I was doing uh, the, the Dumb and Dumber. So I call the office and I say, hi, this is Lynn Che. And um, whoever answered the phone said, oh, yeah, you were in Dumb and Dumber. You did, you know, blah, blah, blah. I said, I see you're doing this other movie. They said, yeah, um, well, and so the guy I was talking to, who was one of Pete's associates, he said, let me send you the script, which he probably shouldn't have. It wasn't really. He kind of did it under the table. And the description of Mrs. Dumars was the angriest, ugliest woman God ever let loose on the planet. I'll never forget that as long as I live. And I thought, oh, my God, I got to do this. Because, I, I mean, my, the theater gnome in me just, like, ignited. You know, it was like, I, I, I got to do this. So... I was talking to an, uh, this woman um, who was also a coach, and we started talking about what kind of skin I would have, what, what, what kind of skin condition. I'm the actor studio too. I'm, you know, I would go every, twice a week and listen to Strasberg and Ellen Burstyn and Shelley Winters, and I mean the greats, you know, and um, Harvey Keitel and De Niro would come some of the time. So and so I'm, I mean, I, I really am the real deal. You know, I learned from the best of the best. And you start thinking, you know, what what kind of walk do I have? What's my what what, what kind of face do I smoke? I, I must smoke. I must have yellow nails and probably yellowed skin and bad teeth. And so, um, I call. I started working on the character, and I went to um, Aardvarks, which was a, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's still on Melrose. Melrose. Yep. Yeah, still there. And there was a block's worth of all their used stuff. You know, it looked like a bunch of cards, like, just squished together. And I remember I walked in, and I looked I looked over the block's long, block-long uh, content of all this these garments, and I go, 
what's that? And I swear to God, I walked right over to that clown suit, as Pete likes to call it, <laughs> which was perfectly, it was from the 70s. It was a jumpsuit, polyester jumpsuit from the 70s. That was the one you used? Yeah. The- I put it on, it fit perfectly. It was, gave me kind of a thing, because it's like, and I thought, all right, and I got that. I got to have a voice, because I smoke too much and definitely have emphysema, so I'm dying of a cough. And um, I, my, so I started working. I gave myself long, dirty, cracked fingernails, and I put eyelashes coming out of my nostrils, so that <laughs> nose hair... And I ran the brow together, and I put egg on my head. My mom used to give herself an egg white mask, and it would make her skin look like reptilian after, before as it dried. So I got put a little egg white on my face to let it dry, so it got real, 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 real crumbly. And then I put a little yolk in to make it like a little yellow. <laughs> and long story short, I, I think over about six weeks, and I had the material, and I would learn. I go over and over the scenes, and so I'm calling, trying to find out when they're auditioning for this. And nobody's responding. I sent Pete a note. I didn't get anything back. I, I called this guy, Pat Healy, um, who was my friend. He said, well, I don't really know what's happening. And then, and I'm dying. I'm just, I, I'm, I'm, I mean, I, I'm just dying to perform this, to do it. So um, I think I saw that they were starting principal photography. It was also in Variety. And I'm, I'm really now. I'm, I'm having a nervous breakdown. My agent had just died. Oh, Jesus <laughs> so I had, Christ! So I had no agent. So I'm sitting, oh, my, and, and I was supposed to have a meeting with a new agent who canceled on me. And I'm, and I've got the variety in front of me, and I'm sitting at the dining room table with makeup on, and I'm crying, and all my mascara is running. My ex-husband, who was my husband at the time, I have him to thank for a lot of things. So this being one of them. So he came and he said, "What's the matter with you?" And I said, "My agent's dead. I can't get an audition for a kingpin." And I said. I'm just, I'm so. He said, "Well, call. Why don't you call somebody?" He said, "Call Steve Stabler. He's your buddy." I said, "No." He said, "It's after lunch. He's probably in his office. Call him. Ask him." So I thought, okay. Called Steve. Answered the phone. I said, "He said, what's the matter with you?" (laughs) My agent's dead. My My agent dropped me. What happened? He died. Well, he died. That's how much he didn't want to work with me. Right. So now, what do I do? (laughs) So anyway, so I said to Steve, um, "You know, I've been trying to get an audition from from Mrs. Dumars," and he said, "Oh, I know you sent some notes." He said, "We love your work. We loved you in Dumb and Dumber, but we really just don't think you're right for this role." And I said, "But I worked out this whole presentation," and he says. Okay, I'll bring you in. So this was a Tuesday, and I remember the audition was Thursday. Thursday morning, I got myself in the whole outfit with the egg on my face and mazole oil in my hair and and the nostrils with the hair coming out and then dirty, and I had the cigarette and the voice and the whole thing. I get I have a little red sob convertible, so I get and they're in Santa Monica, so I get in my car driving literally, and all of a sudden I look at myself <laughs> in the rearview mirror and I thought I'm out of my fucking mind. <laughs> And I thought, but it's too late now. Now I got to go do this. And so I went into the building. Oh, I got out of my car. The parking lot attendant flung himself against the brick wall. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, it was almost like a joke. And I said, no, no, no. He, he said, it was like, I said, I won't hurt you. <laughs> I said, I'm just dressed up. And he said, yeah, right. Okay. So I go in. And I sit down. Uh, there's no chairs. So I sit down on the floor, just kind of waiting for my, my time and my turn. And the, Rick was going back and forth. They were, they were seeing kids that day for those opening scenes in the film, the little boy and the father. Mm-hmm. who were, So the, uh, there were several kids in there. And, and um, finally, it's like a half hour has gone by. And 
he's like just ignoring me basically. And I said, Rick. And he looks at me. He says, Lynn. <laughs> he said, I thought you were off the street. Thought- <laughs> <laughs> Acting. So he brought me in, and they died. They just, I mean, Pete was like, Pete is awesome. Also, right now, Green Book is yeah. playing it. He's, I'm so happy for yeah, him. Yeah, Pete's a sweetheart. Oh, my God. And so is Bobby, the two of them. But they were just flabbergasted, literally. And I read the scenes. I don't even know how well they went. I just, I was so out of a cannon, you know, that I was doing it finally. And I walked out, and I went and I washed my face, and I, I think I started to cry. I was so relieved and upset and everything. And um, and that was it. I, Pete said, you're so scary, I'm afraid to talk to you. And he said, um, and, and he said, thank you for coming in. And I said, you're welcome. You're that old, thank you for coming in. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome. Did I get the part? You're welcome. Yeah, right. yeah, 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 yeah. We got all that. I get right, it. Right, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, so the next day, I called... I was with my son in the car, who was about, I guess he was like a nine or something. I said, I'm going to call Steve and I'm going to thank him because that's the I'm teaching him now. You should say thank you when people do you a favor like that. So I get him on the phone. It was the first car phones. It was one of those giant oh, car yeah. phones, yeah. you know, that you have, can barely pick up. Yep. And um, I said, I just called to say thank you. And he said, I'm not supposed to tell you, but you got the job. Holy shit. He said they were, he said they couldn't even talk for 20 minutes. They were laughing so hard when you left. And I got the job. And it's the best thing I've ever done. I mean, it's... You, it's the best thing I've ever... I think it's the best role I have ever done. You earned... Like, I, I, that, that scene is one of the scenes from that movie. You're like, holy shit. I but mean, the lines, too. I mean, pump and dump and all. I mean, who, who came up... You know, Pete came up with that. You know, what is it about good sex that makes me have to crap? That's, that's a line everybody repeats. <laughs> <laughs> so um so i was lucky i was lucky but i earned my luck you know it was that's it like you just said the magic phrase of like you know people might look at you and they go oh she's been lucky she's been working her brother was a studio head you got to say you know how lucky it's like but you learn you have to earn it's like you you put yourself in luck's way oh i you know really it's worked like for this you, you, I, you worked for it i really worked for this i i couldn't but it wasn't i didn't feel like that i just couldn't like that's again that's that sort of reptilian passion i have i i, I don't get it i think i'm really talented and i mean that not in not from my ego i have a thing that happens and i swear to god i feel like Sometimes it's it really does feel sort of magical. It's really emotional. If I get out of my way, I'm a receiver. I receive something. And it's not magic. It's just, it's, it's that thing we were talking about. It's, it is real. That energy is real. That awareness, sort of cosmic awareness of what sort of what this is all about, which none of us understand, has some... It has some penetr- it penetrates somehow. It's it's like nerve endings, and 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 I, I can't always access it. Intellectually, I'm getting better at understanding material and understanding story and knowing how to change dialogue to make it work better. I've gotten very skilled at that, and I've gotten bolder in terms of expressing it, which is exciting to me because you know sometimes you go oh, if it was only like that and you don't say anything. But now I've gotten the courage to say to say, and if they say no, well then you say okay. But 
let me fight for it a couple times. Well, yeah, because this thing you're talking about about being the receiver of this, the thing that blocks that is is your e- is ego. It's ego, and you know the ego is just sort of like um, like putting a, a concrete ball around the top of an antenna. It's just like you're just blocking, blocking the you're just blocking rays. the signal because you're so wrapped up in your own insecurities or whatever it is or baggage that we all have, you know. But boy, being able to just hearing you even describe that, I'm I know there are people listening who are like, "Holy shit, that makes so much sense to me," you know. It's like, how do we get out of our own ways? I think that's that's I, I wouldn't say that's the purpose of life, but it's one of life's struggles right. and it's like, mysteries. How do we, and of. mystery, how the fuck do we get out of our own way? I don't know the answer. Well, I mean, I think that's what, you know, sort of new agey, why people are into meditation and blah, 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 because there's, and even now, worse than ever, there is so, there's so much static. I mean, the noise around us mm-hmm. is just, I don't think we're built for it. No. I think that's part of the problem. And I think that's why people are so sad sometimes and so miserable. You can't, because you don't, you can't, it won't let any of that in. Sure. We're so we've got so much, it doesn't shut up. Yeah. And like you're saying, it's so quiet up here. Quiet is, is rare. Right. You have to really, you have to find it for yourself. And I guess there's a way to find it even in the midst of chaos, which is kind of what the whole, I don't meditate per se, but I understand what it is. And I know when I go to the gym, the way I meditate is I close my eyes for 30 minutes and I just, I breathe Yeah. and it feels great. And I come home and I'm clearer. I'm just clearer, you know, and I go, well, part of it's oxygen and part of it is just release, you know, of, 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 of that, that energy that, that does block you. So anyway, it's, such an exciting process to me, and um, I just hope I, you know, again, I, I feel I, I feel myself getting older, which is, um, but I don't I don't feel it really. That's what's sort of weird. I don't really feel. I see it because I go, God, you know, what if I? And I'm not going to get a facelift, and I'm not going to do all that shit. I'm just going to be different. But to me. The character acting is where the most interesting stuff gets done. Like, that's where the real meat. And, you know, and you're particularly inspirational to my wife because she's like, I want to be a character actor. Like, I want to, you know, like. Play different people. She wants to put egg on her face. She wants to disappear. She wants to embody interesting roles, even if it's two lines or, you know, like. Or or a whole or a lead role like she just wants to do the weird but like she's died in pretty much in horrible ways and pretty much everything she's ever worked in <laughs> and she loves it you know it's yeah. like that process but I think that's a that's a different path yeah it you is know a and who path. knows who knows what the I mean you know I think there's so much that can go sideways when someone is successful because it's like. You you know are you? I'm listening. I just want to show you something. Oh, sure. Really quick while we're doing this. Sure, sure, sure. You know, like once you're successful, I don't want to lose the success. So what do I need to do to protect the? And you're getting advice from all the from everybody telling you how you're supposed to hang on to your career. Too. Exactly. And who knows what personal insecurities you have versus what? I mean, you know, this business is amazing at targeting and exploiting insecurities, and then and then totally. That's from Final Wish. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, this is a gorgeous picture. I don't know who did that, but someone sent it to me on Facebook. And I just, and I mean, I look at my face there and I love it. You it's, know, I'm happy. It's gorgeous. With it. I, mean, it's, I mean, it's a gorgeous picture. So the picture that we're looking at is, well, it's on Facebook and it's on. It's it was, on my page, but I, I, the, pic, the picture I'm sure is available, but I don't know who, I don't know who to give credit you're to. You're in black and white and everything behind you is in it's color. In red, yeah. But, but. 
you're pulling folk, you're pulling the attention, and even though everything else behind you is in color, it's a really stunning picture. It's a really stunning picture. But again, you know, that just goes to how do we get out of our own way? How do we become comfortable with ourselves? And you have always seemed to be comfortable with yourself, even though you claim you don't know who you are. <laughs> well, I think I get driven, but I, you know, I don't work. I don't. I forget about myself. Is for, I, I really do. I, I just God, I, I just, wish everyone could do it. Boy, if you could bottle that, <laughs> like the, the whole the whole all the whole world, the whole internet is all about reminding you of yourself. It's well, like if we could just forget about ourselves. Well, I mean, I kind of well, then I'm very 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 fortunate because that is kind of it, I forget. I forget because I'm I'm going for something outside myself, so I don't even I, I can't bother worrying about it. Right. And um, and I guess you know that Kingpin audition is a real um, it is it's a real a real reminder for me as well, you know, about just the passion that, that uh, observing and honoring your own passion. But you also have to, cause I'm sure there were times where you did that and it didn't work out. Yeah. And so how, you know, it's like, you know, the, the hard thing I think, especially for performers is that, you know, we're all inherently sensitive because sensitivity is what allows performers to absorb and re-express. And right, so it's, right, right. but the side, but as I've said a million times, the side effect is that you're sensitive. And so when you put in, it's like the pain of putting in that much work. But wait, work. it's different. Yes. Vulnerability is different than sensitivity. Okay, I like this point. And I think being vulnerable is important. I think being sensitive is, is it works against no you. No one's ever said that before. I, I really like that. That makes a lot more sense to me. To let thing be able to let things in, but not, but not, don't let them hurt you. Oh my God! Yeah. Well, that's that's another that's a, the other part of life's great goal. Right. But to put but for people who go like, sure, I could put in that much work, but then at the end, if I get rejected, God damn it! You know, it's like you even said you got the job and you still had that emotional response afterwards, just because it was you put so much into it. Yep. So when that doesn't work out, how are you still able to pick yourself up and go? I'm going to let all that other stuff go. Is it just because you're so driven by the task at hand? Yes. Yes, I think that is it. That I'm that and I think that's the goal is to be so driven by the task at hand that that's what becomes important. And that if you don't and then, you know, it's like move on to the next, you know, move on to the next. My dad had a saying, you know, throw the fish back in the wagon and move on to the next house. <laughs> that's the Jew, the Jewish grocer, you know, the Jewish east side grocer. And that's how that's how the, they lived. That's, that was a real thing. You know, you want you want to buy the herring? Oh, never buy. <laughs> throw the fish in the Julia truck. Julia buy the herring on the next street. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't like it. I'll give it to George. Yeah. Someone's gonna want this. Herring. Someone's gonna want the herring before it smells too bad. <laughs> you know, we were uh, just by sheer coincidence when Lydia did that screening with you for Final Wish. Um, we just happened to be. We just happened to watch Brewster's Millions because Lydia had never seen it. And I think it's one of the great comedies. It of is the, one of the great and there you are, a what? news reporter, <laughs> Mr. Brewster, Mr. Mr. Brewster. 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 <laughs> I look pretty, in and that I was part. like, "I go fuck." That's Lynn Shay. I can't believe it's Lynn Shay. You know, I mean, it's like you're you're in so many things. You know, you're in so many to, to varying degrees to so many great things that are a part of our. But program. a lot of those one liners too, because I said yes to everything. I was like, I was the kid in the back of. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> I was the kid in the back of the room. You know, where you, you think if you if you just if you just raise it hard enough with your fingers tight together, that you're going to get picked. Yeah. And, well, and and I never. You know, this is something that I never ever normally do. I actually pulled up just so people get a sense. I, I have I have all of your films here. Oh my god! Just to remind people of like how many amazing. 
I mean, and I don't even think they're all on there. I don't even remember some of them. <laughs> Mick Aris didn't remember one of them either. Go and sa- Okay, 1982, <laughs> oh, oh, I remember oh, oh, this. What? I have to tell you about Hester, Hester Street. Yes. Which is my first, my first credited film. It's the first one. Don't say what it says, though, on there. Does, does, <laughs> I'll tell you, because it's one of my favorite. Okay, totally okay please. Because that was my first movie. Okay. So, um, and that was also Bob, uh, Bob knew Joan Micklin Silver, who, by the way, is a wonderful human being and filmmaker. And Hester Street was nominated. Carol Kane was nominated for an Academy Award for that. People don't remember that. Oh, my gosh. Um, it's a wonderful movie. It's a real study of the ghetto life mm-hmm. in, in, in early uh, down um, Lower East Side, New York. Okay, so... I auditioned. I believe I auditioned for her, and I got the job as this prostitute who had a really nice. There was a really small but nice storyline where uh, Stephen Keats's character goes to her, and you know that there were prostitutes then, mm-hmm. you know, and they. He asks her why, you know, why does she do this, and she has this lovely little monologue um, that she can earn twenty five cents. A week or something like that as a prostitute as opposed to five cents at a sweatshop. And she wants to bring her family over from Poland. So this was a better job for her. So it was very, it was, it was all very, um, it was economically motivated. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't that she was a, you know, a shady character or anything at all. This was business, straight, strict, strict business. So, um, so anyway, I got the job and I was really excited because it was my first movie, really. And we shot the scene. And uh, Stephen Keats, God rest his soul, but um, he was he was lovely, and Joan was great, and and it was just a wonderful experience. Okay, so the movie's finished, and there's going to be a premiere, and um, I'm really excited. And I tell my mom, and they said they're going to come. They're going to come. So my parents come to New York. We watch the film. The scene was cut. Pretty dramatically. There's just one little section of Stephen Keats walking into the room, and I'm washing myself, and you kind of get a one look at one of my breasts, which I can sort of feel my mother kind of. <laughs> she's sitting next to me, and um, and so I'm I'm waiting for the you know the explanation, and it's not there. So they move on. We, they finish the movie, and I'm kind of like they cut it out. You know, it was just cut, and um, no one had told me that. And so really all that's in there is that one little tiny scene of me washing myself, and I think I say one thing to him or something. And so I go, okay, well, I'm going to but my name is going to be on screen. So we watch, we watch, we watch, we watch. Very last credit says, Lynn Shay, whore. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> my mother just, I felt her stiffen next to me. She didn't look at me. She stood up. She turned around, she started walking. She, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. She goes by all the people in the aisle. I, I follow her. She walks up the aisle, walks into the ladies' room, and vomits. Oh, my God. <laughs> Are you knocking on the door? Living the dream, Mom. I'm living the dream. I was in a movie. Lynch a whore, Mom. <laughs> it was three three separate words. <laughs> I had more. There was more. There was, more. There was, there was, a, was a scene. Story. It was there economically was scene. motivated. Right, right, right. She wasn't. Uh, you have to understand. Right. This is how film works. So that, anyway, I just thought that was a. Uh, so. And then after that, like, is are, did she come out composed, or were no, you like? I don't. You know what? I don't even remember. I think. I think she just. We. No one really talked too much after that. But at a certain point, was she like, okay, I get it, what you're doing? Yes and no. She, my dad was more. 
receptive to the whole thing that my mom was in general. My mom kept, she says, you can get a teaching certificate. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you know, to, she, she wanted me to, you know, sort of be a teacher, live in Detroit, if, if she had her druthers. That's sure. really, she wanted you know, have her, me live down the street, you know, and be able to have four kids or whatever. But, um, um, but she was graceful about it. She never got in my way at all. Um, she used to make me feel guilty when I didn't come home, you know, because sometimes she'd say, um, who was, I, w- I was in Detroit for some reason, and I had to come back for an audition. And, I mean, if I had an audition, I was leaving. I mean, that was it. And she gave me such a hard time. I remember her saying, you know, you, know, you, don't, you really don't care about us. Do you? you know, she gave me that whole guilt oh, trip yeah, yeah, about yeah. you going to an audition. You probably won't even get the job. You know, it was one of those. And mm-hmm. I went, yeah, well, whatever. <laughs> Bye. Well, you're just lucky that you were able to just filter that out. Yeah, yeah. Because there are some people who would have been like, okay, you know, you're right. Yeah. You know, and then that would have been that. But there's just something about you and your cosmic makeup that's like, well, whatever. And again, I think that's the ego thing. If you had an ego... You probably would have, you know, but somehow you were just able to, like, filter it out. Yeah, I mean, because it wasn't even, it it didn't feel like I was doing anything wrong. Yeah. You know, it just felt like, I got to go. You know, I mean, this is what I got to go do. I'm I'm good. I'm good to go try and get this job. So So I see Going South here. I see a movie that I remember called Jekyll and Hyde Together Again. Oh, my God. Mark Mark Blankfield. Mark Blankfield, (laughs) who was, he was, like, the... The breakout star of this show called Fridays, when Fridays was a was a, it, they tried to capitalize on the success of SNL. It was a different network. Was it a different network? I feel like maybe it was a different network. I don't know, but I remember. And Fridays. they did basically a Saturday Night Live on a Friday, and he was kind of the standout guy yeah. on that. And then he did this movie Jekyll and Hyde together again. Yep. So I remember that film. I was course- a nurse. I played a nurse, and I remember looking at his dick. <laughs> I'm saying all these words, okay? <laughs> no, this is a very good... Yes, of course it is. Of course it is. Anyway, that's what I remember about that character. I just love how calm it was. And I was looking at his dick. Um, hey, Mom! Uh, Lynn Shea, nurse! Uh, yeah, nurse. That's nurse. right. Nurse. Yeah. So I went from whore to nurse. That's better. Better profession. Okay, what'd you do as a nurse? Yeah. Well, I was looking at that guy's yeah, dick. Looking- but, it's a, but it, you know, it's a totally different... Right, yeah, right. It's totally It not, was okay. Yeah, it was fine. Um, okay, so Nightmare on Elm Street, obviously. I'm skipping over tons of stuff right, right, here. Right. Brewster's Millions. Critters. Yeah. And by the way, before you leave, I bought one of the original Critters from an, uh, from an auction. It was one of Lydia's Christmas presents. So I have one here. Oh, my so God. Oh, my God. Yeah, so I have one. Oh. Um, uh, Extreme, The Running Man, uh, Critters 2, Pump Up the Volume. Yep. Great yep. Christian Slater movie. That was New Line. That was a New Line movie. That was a New Line yep. movie. Uh, Loaded Weapon. Uh, and I forgot about that one. You what? I forgot about that one. <laughs> you should read your resume yeah, really. sometimes. There's a lot of stuff here. Uh, Amityville, even Cowgirls Get the Blues. That was that was um, oh my god that was um, what's his name a wonderful wonderful director which the director like, yeah. uh, Gus Van Sant Gus Van Sant mm-hmm. yeah uh, Wes Craven's New Nightmare right that was which the last one was such a great spin I think New Nightmare there's so much about New Nightmare to me I mean Wes not only like helped redefine horror but then he started making these meta films too that, that commented on horror yeah. And New Nightmare was such a great take on, you know, people don't remember it. It's like, oh, we did this Nightmare on Elm Street series, and it actually, the films manifested this real killer. And so Heather Lagerkamp plays herself, and Wes Craven plays, plays himself. himself. And it's yep. just such a great, it was such a great, I mean, was he delightful to Wes, work? Yes. unbelievable. He was one of the 
gentlest, kindest, smartest people I've ever worked with. And I have a good story for him too, with him, too, because, I mean, I met him. Bob said to Wes, put my sister in your movie. I mean, it was another one of those. And I played the teacher, and mm-hmm. which is still people remember. And then um, Wes did, um, they resurrected Twilight Zone. And um, he directed this one called Chameleon. And I came in and auditioned for him. And um, the casting director, it was kind of, a, I, I, I kind of play a robot. She's not really a robot. She manifests itself, uh, herself in, in this machine. You know, it was a science fiction thing. And I'm kind of half robot and half human. And it was kind of an emotional little scene. And I kind of teared up in it. And at the end of the audition, the casting director says, can you do it another time, not so whiny? <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Auditions fucking really. suck. So I gave him the finger. <laughs> I flipped him off, and Wes was standing in the back of the room, and I, I, his cheeks got, because he always had pink cheeks, his cheeks got really, really, really red, and he just looked down with his arms crossed and hired me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it seems like you've gotten away with stuff that maybe other people would not have gotten away with, and I assume that it's because... They're just so authentic to who you well, are. Well, maybe. I mean, I don't think about it. It's not like I calculate. It's, yeah. it's, I'm very spontaneous. Yeah. <laughs> Let me put it that way. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, that was lucky. I mean, another director might have thrown me out of the room. Who knows? You know, but okay. Wes, was, that Wes was that guy, though. He was very, he, he saw all. He saw everything around him. Very soft-spoken, really brilliant. And so, so as we're getting into the early 2000s, so by this time... You've been working for thirty years, oy, oy, oy. and you've you you know you've done a you've done a lot of parts. Is are you feeling like hey, I don't care if the parts are big, I don't care if they're small, I'm just working. That's all I care about. I just care about doing little things that I think I can leave a mark on, and that's it. And again, it's not there's no ego in it still. Or do you think like, gosh, I really want to have a star on the walk of fame? That doesn't seem. I can even see by your face. Like, I nah, mean, I don't I, give a shit about that. I mean, I um. I always I have a, I have two kinds of responses. There's a there's a, also a negative side of me. It's like no, I'm not doing it. Like right, I look at it and I'm going, no, I'm not, I don't want to do that. I'm not doing it. <laughs> and then I kind of peek at it again and I go, well, maybe I'll look at it one more time. No, well, let me see again. Yeah, it's not so bad. <laughs> I think I really want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> so I sort of sneak in. I I, I guess I, I, I'm always full of fear. By the way, always f- afraid on some level. I don't know what that is, but that's always my, my first thing is... <gasps> well, fear little. is good. Like, there's nothing wrong with fear. It's just how do, what, what's people's how response manage? to it. How do you manage it? Do you push through anyway? Do you let it rule your life? Well, that's what happens. That's my usually my... Um, and my agent manager, I have a wonderful manager, Gina Rugolo, who's been with me. I've been with her over 20 years, and she has just been the best because she gets that extra perspective that I just don't see or have. And in terms of shaping my career... They're interested in that. You know, they want to make sure, you know, like my my agent is Julia Buckwald is mm-hmm. just great. I love her. She's no nonsense. She's a fantastic deal maker. She's fair as they come. She doesn't she's not ridiculous, but she goes for she knows what's the next step in terms of stuff, what you should get in terms of pr- producer credit, back end, you know, I mean all anything that has to do with that now which where I'm at. I mean, I've I minimize my own success often, apparently. I mean, I didn't know I did, but that's what they, they say. You don't, you, like right now there's, um, it's always still for me a, a passionate thing. Like I just did a film in Oregon with um, people who have never made a movie before. They didn't even have a call sheet. It was the most frustrating, <laughs> frustrating event of my life, I, really, as an actress. 
But I did it because I loved the role, and I think it's a good story. And I kept going back to that. So, um, so that's why I did it. I, I, there's a couple things on the plate, my plate now. One is a director I'm really interested in, but it's a short. And my manager's not sure she wants me. She said, I, I don't think you should do it because it's going to be shown at all the festivals. And people are going to go, why are you doing that? And I go, well, will they really? And she said, yeah, they really will. Because you've established yourself. I mean, Insidious has put me into a, a slightly different category. So I'm, I'm straddling two worlds in a way. Because I still am that one that goes, oh, I can't wait to do it. You know, I want to do that. And that would be really fun. And my mind right away starts working on the character. But these other aspects of career choices are being sort of thrust upon me as well. And sometimes I feel like, phew, I don't have to do it. You know, yeah. I, out of the, the, the fear factor thing comes in. So it's a little bit of everything. I'm, well, that's what we were talking about earlier, about getting advice from people and when does the ego come in. And right. it's like, oh, you can't, you know. And So I have to be careful. Well, you have to be careful. But, you know, it's like if you work with people, you have to trust your representatives. And if they think it's not the right thing to do. But I also sort of feel like... You know, like who I love working. Yeah, you love I mean, working, I love working, and if and you I, like it, who gives a shit? Right. You know, it's like who, who, whatever. Well, I'm I'm more of that road, but I, I need, but I also have to listen to them. On of they course, will, they will never. If I say yeah, I absolutely want to do it, they'll say okay, and you'll know, like because yeah. your gut will tell you. Just like this thing in Oregon, it's like your gut told you you needed to do it, yeah. so you did it. And I did, and it came out not so bad. By yeah. the way, yeah. <laughs> and so you know, if they tell you that not to do something you 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 thought you wanted to do. I feel like at this point, you trust your gut. If you push back hard, then it's like, I probably should do this. And if you're like, nah, okay, then maybe it wasn't something you were super passionate right, about. Right. No, thank you. That's, a, that's actually that's good for me to hear right now as well. But um, my choices are basically based on, on excitement about the role. Well, that's what's so interesting is that so you work pretty nonstop since 1975. You looks like you work pretty nonstop. And who could have predicted that in 2011, it's like, insidious hits and then boom boom you know and nobody like, knew that was going to happen nobody either. knew that was going to happen and you didn't know that was going to happen and you you know like i'm sure you didn't set out to go like you know what i'm going to work consistently for 36 years <laughs> and then in year 36 boom boom you know like it's just all you just don't know no you don't you know you don't know and this and that came out of nowhere in a weird way too because james there's a little movie i call i did called dead end mm-hmm. with ray wise that's a Christmas movie. That's one of my favorite movies I've ever done that never got a real release. It's crazy. It was owned by Lionsgate, and they sort of, I don't even know what they did with it. I've never gotten a residual for it except once, I think, for $3 mm-hmm. from something. Um, it's a fantastic little film, and James Wan was a real fan of it. And he had just done, you know, he and Lee Winnell came from Australia. They did Saw, and then that had a, a real success story to it. And then um, James made a couple other movies. Um, Dead Silence, I think, was one, and I can't remember the the name of the other one. We have the dummy from that movie. Oh yeah, you're bad. It's you my that. wife. She buys all the horror awesome. prizes. Awesome. That's great. That's a great one. Yeah. And it's weird. I get. I didn't know James, but I auditioned for that, and it was between me and the other the woman who did it, which was kind of oh he my told gosh. me later. So anyway, when we got, but if I'd done that, I probably wouldn't have done Insidious. That's right. So okay, so he was a fan of Dead End, and we had a mutual friend who brought James over to my house. To I was having a little gathering of friends. And um, a few weeks later, he asked if I would do... Um, he was doing a video with Lee Winnell called Doggy Heaven, which is hilarious. 
Um, it, Lee is in it. Lee is genius. Those two guys are really something special, uh, each in their own way. They're very, very different. But Lee is, he's a fantastic actor as well as an amazing writer and, and a, a terrific director as well. So Lee brought him, um, okay, so he sent me, um, we did Doggy Heaven, which was hilarious. I play, um, I have a dog named Miss Marple and a big white hat and a big boobs and a big butt and a sundress <laughs> and, and little gloves. and <laughs> It's a great character. Actually, I just put that on Facebook. I'll, I'll send it to you. Um, and... Uh, um, and that was it. We had a very nice time. I met him. He was very sweet. And a few weeks later, maybe a couple months actually, he he called and said, uh, Lee and I have this script. We don't have a name for it yet. We're thinking of calling it The Further or we might, there's another title we're thinking of. And there's a role I think you'd be really, um, I think you would really be good in. And can I send you the script? So I said, sure. You know, and, and he said, um, I have... Um, um, offers out to Patrick Wilson and to Rose Byrne. I thought, oh, that's a great cast. And um, I read it, and it was so unnerving. And Lee is a fantastic writer, and he also would change the font in the in the script for certain like effect. And it got me. I mean, as I was reading it in bed, I, it made me so nervous. By the end of it, I had locked it in the closet. <laughs> I'm not superstitious, so. And I called James and I said, I would love to be a part of this. I just remember the character talked a lot because she talks about the further. You know, I right. had that whole long, long, long monologue. So um, so he said, great. I actually just got word that I got Patrick and Rose and we're going to shoot in whatever, three weeks. It was a three-week shoot, um, $800,000 for the film. and um, The total budget for the movie? Yeah. Oh my and, god! And um, we were had we were had honey wagons. And we were in Highland Park in this little house, and it was really funny. We had one security guard kind of watching the honey wagons, and there was some guy that kept walking up and down on his phone, and he kept like glancing over at the wagons. And I kind of kind of eyed him a couple times, and I said to security, "Keep your eye on this guy." I said because he's marching up and down here more than he should, and he keeps looking at the wagons and kind of looks for you. He said, "Okay, I'll keep my eye on him." So the, we sit down at lunch. It was Jason Blum. <laughs> you got to watch out for that guy. Because <laughs> I sat down across from him. I said, oh, my God, I almost had you arrested. Yeah. <laughs> Who's such a sweetheart. Oh, the best ever. The best ever. So um, so we made this movie. There was no talk of sequel, nothing. It wasn't, you know, and for some reason, people liked Elise. And I, to this day, I still don't 100% get it. The one thing I... I I said when people have asked me this question, and which was filled in so beautifully by Lee in this fourth installment, mm-hmm. there's going to be another one. Oh, that's great! Yeah, that's fantastic. That's, so I've heard. I don't know. There's. I know nothing about it, but that's the mumble. Okay, that's the mumble jumble. Good. Um, but um, the uh, I lost my train of thought. Um, you were talking about the question that gets that Lee says something about that got answered in the fourth movie. Oh yes, oh, okay. The reason people like Elise um, because in the first one you don't really know too much about her. Um, you know, she's sort of just a nice woman, and that the opening scene. This was my idea, and, and people love that. Where I where I because I said to James, um, can I knock on the door and ring the doorbell? Because I don't know, because and I, what I say to Patrick, he flings the door open, and I say, "Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know if the doorbell worked." <laughs> and you know, here's a psychic. I saw what a great way to introduce a psychic, you know, because it already shows her humanity. Yeah. So um, he really loved that, and and that's I'm very proud of that moment in the movie, actually. And um, so 
we didn't know too much about her. I kind of built her as a loner, mm-hmm. um, that she was maybe like me as a little girl, that she didn't have friends. She would spend a lot of time by herself, which opened her up to entities, you know, to other She forces. was open. The she energy, was she open. was open. Yeah, she was open. I'm getting Goosebumps. chills again. So she was open, and... Um, and uh, I didn't think she had family. I mean, I kind of saw her very much alone. However, Lee built an entirely different storyline for her. First of all, in the third one, they gave me a husband. Because mm-hmm. I and and I even possibly thought in the if they do another one that there had been a child. But I don't think they're going to do that. But that was my thought: is that we had had a child who ended up in the further, oh. which I think is a great idea. But I think they're on another road. You know, at least the had, sixth one. Right, well, maybe at least had her day. Has had her day. I can honestly say. But anyway, so um, so in the in the last one. It, not only am I not alone, but I've got a brother and I've got two nieces and I've got, you know, I mean, I've got this whole family and an abuse of mother and father. And, and um, I mean, I just never pictured any of that. But what that did, what, what actually what Lee built is a stronger woman, because what he did is my past that I came out of my past becoming the woman you see in the first one, who is very secure, very loving, very giving, very um, non-egocentric, is about, she's a giver, she's not a taker. She's a listener. She's also, she's a receiver. And the the fact that he built that life for her, that she grew into a beautiful person out of, is a, a strength that she wouldn't have if she had been a loner. So it's a fantastic story. And it was really, that was a hard shoot. That was such an emotional shoot for me in every way. In real, real time, it was emotional because here I was, the head of this household, so to speak. I mean, I was, I was a lead in a film. I was number one on the call sheet. I, I never really thought about that. You That's know? incredible. And, and the, the impact that has on other people, not even on me. But it was, um, and it was long, you know, it was like six weeks of only three days. I didn't shoot the whole film, I think. Um, I was, there were only three days I wasn't in. And it was exhausting because it was a very emotional story as well. And um, anyway, I'm very proud of, of what, where I've been, where I am, and I hope where I get to go. I, I want to be here doing this as long as I can. Well, the bonus part of this now, as we wrap this up and people should go see Final Wish, is we get one Europe story. I told you I was not going to forget. Okay. And you just talked about where you've been. All right. It's you a great were in one. Europe. Okay. It's a great Okay, one. good. I love this. So this is how we'll sort of wrap up everything. And, and, uh, and so go, go ahead. Okay. So I lied to my parents. <laughs> it's already good. <laughs> And and they financed my lie, which is even better because I had no money of my own. My dad gave me traveler's checks to go to Europe. For, and I told them I was going to um, apply to the Courtauld Institute of Art. I was an art history major at the University of Michigan. Was this I, true? <laughs> okay. I, I actually sent for the paperwork. I think I still have it. I mean, just, you know, a, a pack of paperwork to fill out. I never filled it out. <laughs> um, I... It's the, the trip started out, my brother was, um, I believe this is the same trip, he was uh, in Sweden on a Fulbright, and we went to visit him. I went to Europe with my family that summer, and from there, instead of going further with my parents, I, told, I flew to London, and I was going to meet my two girlfriends on the, on the Spanish steps. Okay. <laughs> in, um, well, the Spanish steps, are they? That's in Italy. That was, let me think where I started out. 
Yes. The Spanish Steps started out in Italy. So I met Rena and Linda in, in um, and after about, we went to Italy, then we were in Paris. I ran into a friend of my brother's who drove with me and an English and a Greek guy named Kariakis to Athens. We, so we drove from uh, Belgium to Athens. And from there, I ended up flying to London. And I had all my luggage. And um, I remember I didn't know where I was going to stay. I, and I, I'm sort of making this up as I go along. I'm sending my parents notes, telling them, you know, everything is fine. I'm all good. How old are you at this point? I just graduated college, so I was 21. Okay, so you're 21. Mm-hmm. And so it's not insane that you'd be off out doing stuff on your own, but, but you're, you're definitely deceiving your parents. Totally, totally, <laughs> totally lying to them. I, they were, when I told them I was with Richie Gerber in, in Athens, they thought, okay. Um, but Richie was great. That was my brother's friend. And, um, okay, so I land in, in London, and I had no idea where I was going to stay. I have my luggage. I, you know, I didn't know from backpacks. I had two giant suitcases that I'm, I'm carrying from one bus to another, basically. I get off in Piccadilly Circus, still not knowing what I'm going to do. And I thought, well, I know there's YWCA's here. You know, so I thought, well, maybe I'll try and find a YWCA. There's a little um, um, Fort, Fordham's, they're called, I think. On, there are these little kiosks almost, mm-hmm. um, coffee shops on Piccadilly Circus. So I come in with all my luggage. I sit down at the counter. <laughs> I take up two, two spaces. I order, and there's a guy sitting next to me, and he says, um, are you American? And I said, yeah. And he said, um, are you looking for a job? Oh, my God. And I said, yeah. And he said, good. He said, um, I'm going to write a number down for you, and I want you to call this number tonight at 6 p.m., um, here's the number. It was Terminus 8844. I think I even remember the number, or 4488. And this is not shady in any way? Like it's, it's No, like, I'm not, I don't know. I, all I know is some guy is like knows, and he's going to offer me a job. So okay. I, I write this down. I still have the piece of paper I wrote it down on, believe it or not. Um, I, I, I start asking about the y, YWCA's, and there is one that I could go to. So I take my luggage. I check into the YWCA. Six o'clock. I borrow some shillings to get on the payphone, get this thing. I'm supposed to ask for Keith. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> so I go. He goes, hello. I, he said, who, who is this? I said, um, um, hi, this is Lynn Shea. And I said, um, George told me to call you tonight at 6. Oh, yes, I'm expecting your call. He said, um, yes, did George tell you that we're poets? <laughs> and I said, no. <laughs> he said, yes, and um, we're looking to hire a secretary. And I said, oh, okay. He said, do you type? I said, yes. Great. So he said, "Um, um, we're actually going to the Edinburgh Festival, and we would like you to come and type out some poetry for us. Oh, my God. That sounds amazing. I live at King's Cross Cross Station. I'll tell you how to get there. Come tomorrow at 10 a.m., and we will interview you and see if you would be right for the position. So I'm... I got a, I've got a job offer. I'm so excited. I don't know what to do with myself. Next morning, I figure out how to get on the tube, which is not as easy as you may think. <laughs> and um, come to this little flat in King's Cross Station. This guy comes to the door with a red beard and teeth missing and kind of doing this to his beard. And he's a little fat guy. He looks a little like Pan, like mm-hmm. you would imagine Pan would look. He inter- ushers me in. It's his little apartment. I meet Christina, his wife, pregnant wife. It was 
all on the up and up. These guys are published poets. <laughs> George Whiteman, I ended up going to the Edinburgh Festival with them. As their secretary, they were paying me 10 pounds a week, which is like, what, $40 or something like that. Um, it was all real. And I met W.H. Auden. I met Randall Gerald. I met, I met Jim Haynes, who was at the Travis Theater Club, which I think still exists this in Edinburgh. This is probably in the 60s. Like, what an amazing This was 70. Time. It was, wait, 60. Oh, it was 68, 69. Wow. No, it was 67. Because I just graduated in 65. It was 66, 67. Damn. Go ahead. Anyway, and so I ended up staying. um, So I ended up staying with them, and they put me up in a little flat. They were the crazy group of people. I met William Burroughs. (laughs) We were drinking with William Burroughs, and I was the cheerful American. (laughs) And they all loved me because I didn't know anything about anything. And oh, I was hey, just, Mom, I'm yeah. at art school. <laughs> yeah, I'm, right, right, I'm at art school with William Burroughs. I hope you don't mind. <laughs> and then I ended up, um, there was another friend of theirs who was working at a theater company, and she hired me to um, to be the prop mistress at, at a little theater in the in the West End, a little, in, like, you know, little sort of uh, showcase theater it really was. And one funny story with that is um, they needed birds to come out of the sky from for some skit. They were it was a skit they were doing, you know, um, almost like Second City kind of stuff. And <laughs> I didn't think about styrofoam. I went to a butcher and I got all these dead bird heads. <laughs> <laughs> The birds were like all got rotten, <laughs> and, they, and everybody's going, "What's that smell? What's that smell?" <laughs> and I'm up in the rafters. I'm being with I'm the prop mistress, and you know, I'm also sort of the stage manager. And I'm dropping all these dead bird heads down. <laughs> it needs to be in a movie. That's unbelievable. If I saw that in a movie, I would go, "That's not real. That's not real." Anyway, and uh, it was just a it was just great. You and, are so lucky. There's there was not social media back then because. Your parents totally could attract. I saw you on Instagram. Were you doing shots with yeah, William really, S. Burroughs? Really? Like there was no none of that. No, no, one, tra- no one could track you. No what one an incredible story! And again, it just all goes back to <laughs> you being open, you being receptive, you being authentic, and and smacking the ego out of the way to just say like. Hey, you know, life is this journey, and I'm just, I just want to live it. This opportunity happened, and I'm going for it. But I mean, seriously, in in this day and age, I don't, who would do that? I mean, you know, this guy, excuse me, are you looking for a job? And then you never hear from that person. And then you never, or or you go to Keith Harrison's apartment and they kidnap you and put you in the That's what I mean. Yeah, 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 exactly. (laughs) So it's like, you know, maybe this isn't the. Maybe kids shouldn't just go with a guy who says yeah, he's a poet. Listen to what I told you. Oh, but the other thing is crazy. You want to hear what else is nuts? Yes. Keith Harrison, who was this little redheaded yeah. guy, he became my niece's professor in English at Carleton College 25 years later. By complete coincidence. Pol- did you complete. did you confront him and say, I was in your office? She, she did. She said, she called me. She said, I think the guy you told us about is my teacher. And it was. Do you still not have teeth? He still didn't have. <laughs> I think he was still. He had. He was one of those. He was like, <laughs> one of those. One of those. One of those poets. And he, but he was a, a tremendous. I'm sure he's still around somewhere. I hope so. 
George Whiteman, I think, died, and he was extraordinary to this real upper class. You know, they were all Oxford graduates. But he wasn't like Keith the Teeth. No, it wasn't like Keith the Teeth. (laughs) Keith was a riot. He was totally a riot. And he was a real, they were, who's always, he was doing, literally, he would do this with his beard. (laughs) He was like, hmm. I mean, what an amazing, I mean, just such a great, you know, it's so much fun to sort of hear what happens when you're open like this. I, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you, Lynn oh, Shay. Well, same to you. And it's I could been... see, it was so funny, it was so cute to watch my wife say hi to you because she got real shy. I could see her face <laughs> turning red. She's like, okay, I'm just going to go over the stairs and change. But, you know, we're big fans of yours and anytime you want to come on or anything we can ever do for you, please let us know. Well, this was a real treat. I really had no idea. I, I, I knew your name, but I didn't really know, I didn't know who you were or what, but you're also a fantastic host. And, oh, thanks. And a fantastic guy. I appreciate that. Thank you so much, Lynn Shay. So the uh, final wish people should watch. Let me just make sure I know when that is. I just want to make sure I promote this properly. January 24th. 24th. It's coming up. Okay. Uh, And it's for just the one night only. I guess, you know, I wasn't even quite sure how this all worked, but I guess it's all over the country, basically, for one night only. And I don't know if then that generates, if there's enough interest generated that then it will have a full-scale theatrical run or not. I don't really know how that all works. But if you have the opportunity to see it in a theater, that's the place to see it. It's The sound design is beautiful. The film looks gorgeous. Um, it's be- The DP was wonderful. And, um, and I think it's a really engaging story with a with a big heart and some good scares. Well, uh, I encourage people to go see that. And then also, anything else you're working on that's coming out? The Grudge is coming. Yeah. I'm too scared to see it. I'm telling you that was the scariest thing I ever did in my whole life. Really? Yeah. Really. Like in real life? <laughs> like it in was real sc- life. It was really scary. The director is a young guy named Nicholas Pesh who had done, um, he did a movie called Eyes of My Mother that was on. Yeah, I remember that. We saw that. I thought that was really scary. Yeah. I mean, from, I don't know. I mean, every, listen, every film hits people differently. That made me very upset. <laughs> <laughs> and he's a very interesting, um, he's a, I think, a fantastically interesting filmmaker. It's about his juxtaposition of imagery, and he's got a very uh, tangential sense of fear, it's it sort of creeps in on the uh, from the underside, and you so you think it's all going to be, and then oh my god, it's totally not. And this is a fantastic script, wonderful cast, um, and uh, that's going to be I think Sam Raimi's executive producing. Fantastic! Yeah, so it, that's coming up in June, and uh, there's a bunch of other stuff. I, I co-produced a. I, co-produced a film that we are showing also in limited release called Room for Rent that um, I sort of helped put together. Um, that's fantastic. Yeah, that's going to that's gonna have, um, I think it'll have a f- big format opening in May. But um, Tommy Stovall directed it, who I've done two other movies with, a really wonderful director. Good story, really. It's about a woman, a lonely woman who descends into madness. And it's a it's me. <laughs> it is all about me. When uh, when when can you come back on the podcast? Oh, I'll come anytime you want me okay, to. Okay, good. I have to have something new to tell you, though. I may have to go to Europe between now and then. <laughs> you have a lot of stories. Like, I, I, I imagine we just... I mean, we didn't even nick the surface of stories that you might There's a lot that, of good that stuff. you might have. So you're welcome back anytime, Lynn Shea. Oh, thank, thank you for you. being here. Thank you, Chris. The end. I detent scanning complete. Enjoy your burrito.
It's all a lighthearted nightmare on our podcast, Morbid. We're your hosts. I'm Alina Urquhart. And I'm Ash Kelly. And our show is part true crime, part spooky, and part comedy. The stories we cover are well-researched. He claimed and confessed to officially killing up to 28 people. With a touch of humor. I'd just like to go ahead and say that if there's no band called Malevolent Deity, that is pretty great. A dash of sarcasm and just garnished a bit with a little bit of cursing. This motherfucker lied like a liar like a liar and if you're a weirdo like us and love to cozy up to a creepy tale of the paranormal or you love to hop in the way back machine and dissect the details of some of history's most notorious crimes you should tune in to our podcast morbid follow morbid on the wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts you can listen to episodes early and ad free by joining wondery plus in the wondery app or on apple podcasts